PowerPoint on, we'll get a series called The Christian Atheist. It's a, it's a, it's a series we're going to be doing for over the next several weeks. Uh, it's a new year, so happy new year. You know, ta- you know, the clock resets, the year resets, and something that we have to do, I think everyone else does in the new year, is that we begin to reevaluate our Christianity. Uh, the new year always brings a time of reflection on how we've been doing spiritually. And so the Christian atheists um, are people that believe in God. And the title of this morning's lesson is, When You Believe in God But Don't Really Know Him. And a lot of people believe in God, but they don't really, really know Him. You know, there's a poll done by Gallup that 94% of people in the United States claim to believe in God or a universal spirit. They have, a, they have a conviction that there is a higher power in control that created things. And so, the Christian atheist believes in God. But when you have a quick, a quick glance at the scriptures, and our culture makes it plainly obvious that we're nowhere near 94% who know God. Belief in knowing has a big difference. Belief isn't the same as personal knowledge. For some, the notion of knowing God on a personal level level seems kind of unrealistic, unattainable, uh, unlikely. And the confusion lies in the failure to recognize the different levels of intimacy when we come to know God. Now, there's there's a word in the Bible. There's two words. There's oida and ginosko. Those are two words in the Bible that refer to having a knowledge or a full knowledge of God, and that means a fullness, having an understand completely. It's uh, signaling there's a relationship between you and something else. So that's the word that we're going to look at in the Bible and how that's used to really help us understand, hey, when we believe in God, but do we really know Him? Okay? And this scripture is used in 1 John chapter 2. It says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So this is how you know God. How you know God is that you live a life that emulates the life of Jesus. That's how you know someone. You're saying, hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, in the Bible, the, the term Christian is used three times. In the Bible, the followers of Christ were not called Christians. They were called disciples. Disciples is, is being used more and more often now, especially if you're in martial arts. You're always a disciple of this discipline. So a disciple in the Bible is used over 270 times, which, which the outside world called the disciples Christians first. In Antioch, 7 AD. So the Christian atheist has a hard time connecting. I know God, but yet, do I walk like Jesus walked? Because when you truly know God, you truly obey God. Okay, there's a relationship there. Okay? So this scripture is a good one to, to look at. And there's an example we can, we can have. This word iota is used in John 6. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. You know, Jesus has intimate knowledge on how well you know him. He knows where you're at with him. So sometimes the Christian atheists, they don't want to even acknowledge that. They want to go, they want to say, hey, I believe in you and I know you, but there's this, there's this nebulous of, of, hey, I'm afraid because I don't know you. It's kind of like meeting someone at church that you don't really know and going up to them and saying hello. It's almost as awkward. Um, I saw you outside. I know you from your physical appearance. But you wouldn't say you, there's, a, there's a relationship there, right? So that's the struggle that people have. They, they believe in God, yet they don't know him. But Jesus is aware of how close you are to him. And here's an example. Some of us, we, we know God from a, a reputation. Like, we hear about God from other people. Or when you grew up, someone told you a story about God. And you're like, oh, that's, that's who God is. And so you hear about God from a reputation. So in John 7, the same thing happened in the Bible. Jesus was in his hometown, and he's, and he's trying to help people, and this is their reaction. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. See, these people thought in their minds that no one would know where the Messiah would be born. And that, is that true or false, church? That's false. The Bible says in Micah 6, he'd be born in Jerusalem. When the Magi came to the King Herod, they, they told King Herod, hey, it's true, the, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. That's why Herod tried to kill all the two-year-olds. He tried to eliminate the Messiah. So is it true that, that from the reputation, they're thinking, we don't know where the Messiah is going to be? But that's not true. They were, they, were, they were basing their decision and their conclusion on what someone else might have told them, a reputation. Maybe you've grown up and say, God is a mean God. Or God killed people in the Bible. Or God said this. And we, and we, and we come to a conclusion based on someone else's view versus looking at the Bible ourselves and finding out what's really going on. Another way we, we know God is from our memories. Um, memories are pretty funny. You know, we experience his goodness, we experience some grace, we experience some love. Uh, like a good friend, after not seeing him for a few years, you know, we have this distance. You know, at one point in our life, I remember as a kid, I was, um, I was in fifth grade, and I liked this girl. Her name was Charlene. And uh, I was like, man, she's really beautiful. Man, I, I wish she was my girlfriend, as all teenage boys uh, think to themselves. And, uh, and so I, I, I got down on my knees, and there was this cross in my, in my room. And it says, I will return. And I never really looked at that cross, hardly ever. Just in my room because my mother put it there. So I said, I'm going to ask him. So I bowed down and said, God, if you let me be my girlfriend, that would be awesome. I would really appreciate that if you would make her, make her be my girlfriend. Make her. <laughs> and so that's why I prayed. And uh, two weeks later, uh, she liked me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do. Her parents invited me to a Dodger game, so we went. And that was our first and only and last date. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> but she liked me just temporarily. It was amazing. And I, so from my memory, I thought, man, God really listens to you. I, I took from that experience, like, God hears me. 
even though my prayer was completely self-centered and selfish, I walked away with, my, with an experience of, God really listens. He really heard that. So I was like, wow, I was pretty amazed. Now, this scripture teaches us this, that, but whoever loves God is known by God. And so, even though I had that experience, I still played by my own rules. I didn't really want to look at the Bible. I played and lived my life according to what I thought was best. You know, the Bible has much to say about this relationship. You know, to know God is to be in a relationship with God. And just think about your close relationship. Think about your best friends. Why are you best friends? You're not best friends because you talk to her every Christmas. You know, you're not best friends because you see her once every 10 years. You're best friends because you have a constant flow of communication. And so this, this verse teaches us, whoever loves God is known by God. It's a two-way relationship. And one of the things that God always tries to instill in us is that if we seek him, we'll find him. If you really want to know God, he, you will find him. But the question is, do you really want to know? Sometimes we don't want to know. Because when we want to know, it means when you think about a relationship, it means about a devotion, about a, 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 of maintaining a relationship. How many of you here are married? Okay. We all know how challenging it is to stay in communication with our spouses. That is the number one challenge of marriage. She, uh, yeah, she knows what I meant by that. No, she didn't. You know, Karen and I got in an argument yesterday. We got in a fight. And she was not listening. And I was not listening. You know, and you can do two, two things. You can be like Rocky and Clever Lang and just duke it out. Or you can go say, you know, let's go to our neighbor's house, Peter and Katie's, and get some help. So Peter and Katie helped us out yesterday. It's really awesome. And our kids were wondering, hey, are you guys going to get resolved? Like, yeah, we're going to Peter and Katie's. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. You know, because our kids see us in the habit of working on our relationship. You know, when I was growing up, I never saw that. When mom and dad fight, it was like days and weeks. It's like, dad, what are you on the couch? Don't ask me that question. All right, just wondering because I wanted to watch cartoons and you're on my, you're in my space. So my whole life growing up, I didn't, I didn't see this, hey, how do you get help in your relationships? And one of the things that we need if we're going to follow Christ is we have to have help in our relationship with God. You know, the Christian atheist doesn't always start out an atheist. He evolves into one because there's no one helping him maintain the relationship. And so you drift off and get discouraged. That's why it says, seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. It takes an effort. And the Bible also says this. God did this. He put people in the right places so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You know, this scripture is about, you know, geography, where you are and where you experience God. God puts you in this, in this place, in this city, in this neighborhood. For you, to, if you're seeking him, you'll find him. You know, many of us, we were, we were invited to church by someone else. And someone else said, hey, you know, I'd like to study the Bible with you. I'd like to invite you. And it's a sense of God reaching out to us. And we'll be found when we have a heart for God. You know, the Christian atheist, he believes, yet he's thirsty. He believes, yet he's not satisfied. There's a longing. And if we continue to seek God intimately, we start to hear his voice. You start to recognize things. You start to see, hey, God's talking to me. 
You know, the other day I was at Toys R Us with my, with my wife and two kids. We got gift cards. And so when they're shopping for their gifts, you know, that's, that's an adventure right there. It's going with the kids. It's just, there's just too many choices. It's like, can, you, can we just stick to one aisle, please? And just pick one thing out of this aisle. But no, Toys R Us, they box you in like a maze. I'm like, you see this, got to see this. And so I'm like, I know what you're doing. And so I'm, I'm looking, I'm kind of bored. So I start to, you know, my, I start to, you know, kids are walking around. I'm, I think I know where they are. And then I, and then I, I say, hey, hey, uh, hey, where's Jaden? So, uh, you know, in your heart goes, real quick, you're like, don't panic, he's probably in this aisle. Ooh, he's not there either. Hmm. I have the cart. Stay calm. Don't lose yourself. You know, the, the HP button was right there. It was growing. You know, the HP button is, the, is what I call the Hispanic panic button. So it's, it's getting larger. And I'm going, okay, I'm going to go over here. And then I, I realized that three aisles over three aisles, I said, I can't find him. And, I'm, and then I was like, and then I couldn't see Karen. I said, where's, where's Karen Giuliano? They wandered off. And I was kind of left in charge of Jaden. And he wandered off. And so I was like, Jaden? 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 And I realized that my voice wasn't carrying far enough to where he was at. So you started thinking, is someone going to take my boy? You start these weird thoughts coming in your mind. Like, what's going to happen? And so, you know, Hispanic panic. So I said, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> Jaden! And I hate doing that. I, I, try, I try to make it sound controlled like it's, it's confident, but not freaking out. Jaden! Because I wanted to like, I wanted to go like, Jaden! Jaden! I wanted to say that. But I go, calm, calm, be calm. So I shout out, Jaden! And then I hear a faint, yeah, Dad, I'm coming. I was like, I mean, which direction? And so I come out of the main aisle, and there's Jaden, you know, he's walking toward me with a little jaw, going, yeah, Dad? And I'm like, you know, the first thing in your mind is like, don't ever do that again. I'm like, like Jaden, let's make sure we're in the vicinity of your dad, okay? Try to instruct you. Get around here. But my heart was like, I'm glad you're there. But what, what I learned from that is that when we have a relationship, you hear his voice. When you have a relationship with the Father, you always can hear the Father's voice when He calls you. When, I call, when you call your children, they know your voice. They know the tone. They know if you're freaking out. They know when you're mad. They know when you're happy. They know all the nuances of your emotions and how you respond. It's because there's a relationship. And that's what God wants with us. He wants you to know His voice, to respond to His voice. It's okay. It's okay to respond to God. You know, just because you heard about something about God doesn't mean that's true. You have to investigate it for yourself. You can't live off someone's reputation. The Bible says the first one to come present their case seems right to the second one comes to question. You always got to make sure you hear both sides of the story. If you heard God by reputation, you got to investigate it with the, with the word of God. You can't leave your knowledge of God just by reputation. So not knowing God. Maybe you think, Geo, I believe in God. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? You know, my father tells me that, Geo, he's up there and I'm down here. That's all I know. When I reach out to my dad, that's his response almost every time. It's a fair question. 
But believing isn't all that he wants from you. You don't want your son or daughter to believe you're his parent, right? You want him to have a relationship. Mother, I know you're my mother, and I'm acknowledging that intellectually. I want nothing to do with you. We don't want that kind of relationship. I mean, we can acknowledge God, you are God, you are our father, but we can have no relationship with God. No, no, no intimacy with God. And so this is where the crux lies with the Christian atheist. They believe, yet they don't really know him. You know, in James 2, the Bible reads this. You believe there is one God, and that's good. But the, but the demons believe that too, and they tremble with fear. And they tremble because they know relationally they're separated from Almighty God. They know that. And they tremble. And that scares them. You believe in God? That's good. But I bet you the demons have more of a faith in God than a Christian. They see God. They've known God. But now they tremble because they are separated from God. So just believing in God is not enough. Just intellectually acknowledging God is not enough. He wants more. He wants a relationship with you. Just like you want a relationship with someone else. You know, growing up in, 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 in our society, we can become cultural Christians. Where you're kind of born into a Christian family, and your, your parents believe in God, but you grow, grow up believing in God, but really not knowing Him. You go to church on Christmas, you go to church on Easter, you believe, and that's all you know. That's all we know. But we live by our own rules. We do things our own way. We do things that hurt God in this relationship. Because when there's a relationship, there should be a, a moral standard to any relationship. Even if you're not a Christian, if I say I'm committed to this person, morally, the morality says I should be devoted to her until I communicate with her that I no longer want to be with her. That's morality. I like you, and like Charlene told me, I don't like you anymore. Okay, I knew the relationship was over. It was brief but powerful. But I knew it was over, kaput. Same with the scriptures. There's no, there must be a standard to a relationship. If you claim to know God, there is a standard of the quality of the relationship. It can't be a relationship on, on what you think the relationship should be. Part of that is true in a sense of how you pray, how often you pray. Those things are left up to you, but God holds a standard where you pray on a hilltop, sun's rising, sun setting, the full moon. You can do all kinds of cool stuff. But there's a standard in a relationship. And when you have that, it creates a healthiness in the relationship. Like a standard in my marriage is that Karen is the only one for me. We don't ever mention or talk about the D word. We don't bring it up in a fight. It doesn't happen because that's out of bounds. I'm committed because the standard of, hey, I'm locked in. Lord of the Rings. I saw, I saw the Hobbit. I saw it. I'm in. I'm locked in. And there's, there, there's a comfort and there's a, there's a safety when there's that commitment. You feel safe. Same when you have children. If your children clearly know the boundaries, they have fun within the boundaries. But if you keep moving the fence and changing the guidelines, it confuses people. And the relationship goes, hey, I thought you said this yesterday, but now you're saying this today. And that's what Jane goes, I'm confused. And then I realize that I'm changing the boundaries on him. And he's, and he's getting frustrated. And he's getting confused. And that hurts our relationship. Okay? Does that make sense? Because our very actions, our very actions 
How we live reveals our intimacy with God. We know that we have come to know Him, that's God, if we keep His commands. So it's saying here, when you know God, you know the standard. You know His commands. Those who say, I know Him, Geo, I know Him, but do not do what He commands, are liars. And the truth is not in them. That sounds kind of harsh, huh? I, I try to look at this passage with honesty, and it's straightforward. It doesn't beat around the bush. This, who wrote this was John the Apostle. He walked with Jesus. He lived to his late age, 80s, old age, on the island of Patmos, exiled. He writes a letter to the churches saying, listen, guys, you can't say you know them and live by your own rules. Because otherwise you're lying. You can fool us. You can fool the church. But one person you never fool is God. And the Christian atheist likes to hang out in that gray area. Well, if I just look the part, I'll be good. And we can do that. And we can come to church looking the parts. But in reality, in the spiritual realm, God looks at us and goes, hey, you're not honest. And, and, and the... And the place, the best place to have a relationship is based on honesty. You know, yesterday Karen told me her honest things that she was feeling. And it's always hard to hear. When someone's brutally honest, I feel like, I'm like, here it comes. Reality. Honesty. And you got to brace yourself. Because my version is awesome. I'm a nice guy. I'm great. I don't know what the problem is going on here, you know. That's my reality. But when the, then the reality comes, and you hear honest, heartfelt pain. And when you, when you live by your own rules, you cause pain in a relationship. Yesterday, I caused pain in my wife's heart. Because I was prideful. I was angry. And angry doesn't bring about God's righteousness. I was self-righteous, which is the worst. And then you're prideful. is doubly worse. Because you, you think you're right, and then you're, you're sure you're right. Which is terrible. And so there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a collateral damage in a relationship. Same with God. And what I learned from yesterday is that not only did I, did I, do I see the pain, but when I don't obey the Bible, obey God, you know, I, I understand there's a pain there too. And I think Christian atheists, they tend to be blind to the pain they cause. They don't want to acknowledge that. They'll acknowledge this, but not this. And so yesterday I was like, I'm convicted because my character is a lot like my father's. And I hate admitting that, but I, the more, the more I, see, I see my dad, I see him in me. And that's the character I'm always fighting against, that, that natural man, sinful, prideful character that I get to battle with. And so in a relationship that I, hear, I hurt here, I'm hurting here too. And that's what crushes my heart, makes me humble to God. And that's helpful. Because when you walk with God, there's a reality that you're going you, to you're gonna hurt God's feelings. You're going you're to cause pain in God. You know, in Genesis 6, mankind was so bad, it grieved God. Then he flooded the earth. Matthew 7. That's the truth. He wiped him out. But not everybody. Thank God Noah was building an ark for 100 years. That was pretty awesome. You know, let me tell you a little story. If we can go back a passage... Let me tell you a little story. Uh, in 1989, I, uh, I went to Hawaii. 
with my little brother who played soccer, and he got to go on a traveling team, was out there playing soccer. It was awesome. And I went to um, North Shore. It's where the big waves were at. I had a boogie board. I was, I was 17. I'm like, I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to say that I went to North Shore. This is awesome. And I went out there on my boogie board, and there was reefs everywhere. I'm like, this is dangerous, but this is so cool. And then I, I saw this local Hawaiian guy in the distance. And, he, and I saw him paddling near us. I'm going like, uh-oh, I heard about the locals. They don't like other people coming into their area and swimming on their beaches. So I was a little, I was a little pensive, and it was my two friends. And we're like, okay, let's just stay here. There's three of us, and there's one of him. Things go sour, you know, at least we're, we can outnumber him. So he comes a little closer, and it wasn't a local. It, it was Tom Hanks. And he, was, and he was shooting the movie called Joe versus the Volcano in Hawaii. And I was like, hey, Tom. How's it going, man? He's like, hey, how's it going? I said, yeah, you guys want to surf together? He's like, yeah, can I join you guys tomorrow? Yeah, that'd be awesome. So for two hours, you know, we're not really talking, but we're, we're, he's taking a wave, I'm taking a wave. Good wave, Tom. <laughs> taking a wave. And we're out there, and I'm like, I'm like, and there's no one around. I'm like, is, can anyone see me? Is, I didn't have my camera. I'm like, how do, I, how, do I, how do I record the, you know? And so we got out together, and we got out, and he got out. He goes, okay, I'll, I'll see you guys later. I'm like, who's going to believe me? Who's going to believe me? So I saw Tom. We hung out for two hours. But if I showed up to Tom's house today, if I went over to Tom's house and I knocked on his door, Tom, man, it's great to see you again. Police? <laughs> Why would that happen? I know him. I know him. I mean, we, we hung out. We spent a moment in time together, two hours on the beach. It was beautiful. But he doesn't know me, really, does he? There's no relationship. Even though I go to his house, he'd have me arrested. He doesn't know me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What God wants is a relationship. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want you just running around doing great works and then never having a, a relationship with him. These people he's describing, they do spiritual things. They're, they're always busy with spiritual things, but they're never close in prayer. They're never close in the, in the word, and they don't know how to connect to God. So they look spiritual, but that's not what he wants. He wants a relationship. I mean, I wanted a friendship with Tom Hanks badly, but he didn't want one back. But the good news is, God wants a relationship with me, and he's much more important than Tom Hanks. You know, I see Tom now, I'm like, you know, he doesn't remember me, but I remember you. I remember that moment in time. And I cherish it, but he doesn't cherish it. I don't know why. It's a great moment. And sometimes when you're a Christian, you can forget that you know him. You kind of drift away. And in Galatians 4, Paul writes to the Christians in the church there, in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, 
this, uh, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You know, the holidays can bring us back to being almost like we don't believe God exists. We don't pray as much. We don't read as much. We kind of get lethargic. And we think when the clock turns January 1st, like, it's going to turn, the switch is going to turn on, and I'm going to be a Christian again. It doesn't work that way. It's a relationship. You can't just have one moment with God saying, God, do you know me? It's like that Tom Hanks moment. I go, Tom, I, if I saw him at the academy, Tom, it's me, Geo. He'd be like, security? I mean, it can't be like that. It has to be a relationship, a consistent relationship. So turning back to the forces that are weak and miserable, that happens to Christians. So we have to be aware of that and know that, hey, that's not the life we want. You know, Paul is saying, you know God, but not well enough to avoid your habits. Could this be us? Old habits of pride? I know I experienced that this week. Lust? Habits of being lazy? Habits of enjoying resentment? Anger? Maybe in the past we prayed and asked Jesus to change our lives. Or maybe we had a basic understanding of God. Or maybe, maybe once we felt close to God. But we don't really know him that well. You know, in Psalm 9, verse 10, the Bible says... Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have forsaken those, have never forsaken those who seek you. You know, I value counsel from a good friend. You know, when there's a friend that sits down with me and gives me counsel, I value that counsel. The question I have for us is, do we trust the scriptures to counsel us? When you're in a relationship with God, this becomes our best friend, our counselor. God becomes your, your, your helper, your advocate. You know, do you trust the scriptures when it says, hey, if you seek first the fellowship, the kingdom of God, everything else will take care of itself. Do, you, do, do we really believe that? That means that, that means that, that's what it means practically. That when, when, when the economy's weak and your job says, man, we got to do, do more with less. We need you on Saturdays. We need you on Sundays. We need you more at work. And your convictions are like, Hey, but I, I know it's right, I, the fellowship, and we begin to miss fellowship because we've we got to put bread on the table. And that's what that passage talks about. God says, hey, I know you need food. I know you need shelter. I know, you, I, know, I know you that you need them. But don't run after those things like the pagans do. Trust me. Seek me first, and I'll take care of that. That's what it says. Do we trust God in the relationship with that? Do we trust God when he says, hey... When you're in a relationship with another Christian, is it purity? Is there immorality? Are you sleeping with someone that's not your wife? You know, when, when someone who claims to be a Christian begins to be immoral, they violate this relationship. Remember when I was a, a young man, I, I, I claimed that I knew God. I did. People would ask me, oh yeah, I know God. But I lived a lifestyle that was completely opposite of the relationship that God wanted. I was immoral. Immorality. Not good. I hurt and damaged relationships. You know, when there's purity, it brings security. It builds trust. Do you trust the scriptures when it talks about resolving conflict quickly? Mmm. Geo, you know, what came out in my relationship with Karen was that I had felt some things that I thought I was being a nice guy about, but really it was bothering me. 
And it came to a tipping point where I'm like, hey, I don't like it anymore. And so I wasn't resolving the issues of my heart quickly, and, they, and it kind of built up. And when they build up, it just takes a little spark to put that little pile into a fire. Relationships. Do we trust the scriptures to get resolved quickly? Realizing that, you know, that we are at an impasse, we're not going to get resolved on our own, we got some help from an objective couple who wasn't emotionally involved. And it was awesome. Do you trust the scriptures when it says to multiply and go and make disciples of all nations? Do we trust the scriptures? Rescuing people. When, when you know God, when you're a true disciple of Jesus, you have an attitude like, one of my main functions in my life is to, is to make disciples. I'm trying to build relationships to help God rescue people. That's on your heart. It's always on my heart to think about God. Hey, if that person had to come up to me in college and said, hey, would you like to study the Bible? And I give him a nice casual brush off. No, thanks. No, thanks. I must have said that five times. No, thanks. He kept going. He kept opening his Bible. Well, have you read this scripture? I said, I thought I told you. No, thanks. <laughs> he goes, but have you read this? I'm going, there it is. I knew it. And the reality set in of that I wasn't really close to God because I didn't want the guy to open his Bible. How do you get close to God is the question now. How do you make the jump from, a, from, a, from an atheist to a believer? Well, God says this. In Revelations 2, he writes to the churches in the province of Asia. And he, and he acknowledges them. See, look at, look at what he says. Jesus goes, I know your deeds. I know. I know your hard work and your perseverance. You know, you've been trying really hard. God knows. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. If that is you, God knows that. You don't have to hear it from anybody else. God knows that. And so this church is being commended by God. But the next verse after that, he says this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, which is metanoia, means to turn and change your mind, change the way you think, and do the things you did at first. If you do not change, I will come to you and remove your lamp stamp, stamp, stand from its place. You know, God understands our hard work. But again, he expects us not to abandon our love for him. And this church responds well. They were rebuked by Jesus and responded. And maybe you're feeling a little bit, that's challenging to hear. That's good. Whenever you hear a scripture and your heart goes, oh, that is good. If it is nothing, you should be scared. You know when you start fighting, you fight so much, you're like, I feel nothing anymore. That's a scary place in a relationship. It's called apathy. I feel nothing. You will never hurt me again. That is never good. So if you hear that, you're going, Gio, that startled me. That's a good thing. You know when someone you know, has a heart attack and they're on the gurney, you know what they do? They try to shock them back to life. And sometimes we need the Bible to shock us back to life. Have you forgotten your first love? Know that God wants to be in love with you. God knows you. 
He knows your relationship's weak. He knows when it's strong. He knows. So let's not try to live life trying to hide that fact. But let's be honest with that reality. And despite our struggles, God expects our hearts. We don't tell our loved ones we love them and don't spend time with them. Uh, when you have children, one of, their, one of their biggest love languages is, are you spending time with me? When you have kids. And I, I, thought, I thought the kids needed that more than my wife. My wife goes, no, Gio, I need you to spend time with me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I used to be really good at that. Remember the things you did at first, Gio. We've been going on 11 years of marriage, and I had to remember, like, I have to do the things I did at first with my love for Karen. If I'm going to stay in a close relationship, I can't forget what, you know, all the, hey, how are you doing today? How was your day? How, really, tell me about your day. Now I'm like, how's your day? Oh, that's nice. That's great. <laughs> I got to do the things I did at first. You know, when she says something, I'm looking at her and saying, yes, I understand you. I also thirst. Now, see, do the things we did at first. What was that? We prayed a lot, didn't we? We, we realized our lostness, didn't we? We realized how big God is and how small I am. We realized that, hey, you know what? When I, was, when I first started knowing God, I was willing to sacrifice anything for God. When I, we first knew God, we didn't make any excuses, did we? We made disciples, didn't we? That was our, that was our life. Have you forgotten that? So what do you call God? Dad? Father? Mr. Hey, up there. Hey, you. The way you address him or refer to him just might reveal the depth of your intimacy. Yeah, I, I, I call Karen Karen, but I, you know, I like to call her honey, baby, sweetie pie. You know, I, I try to evolve from Karen when I first met her. Hello, Karen. Hi, Karen. I'm Gio. You're really awesome. Oh, Louise, your middle name? Oh, that's a cute name. And I, I, over time, intimacy, you evolve into Sweetheart, honey, God the stranger, hi dad, I'm really having a tough time today, I'm really having a hard time dad, I need your help, I'm, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm upset, see how it evolves into something real and personal, not our father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, that's not a relationship, that's a recording, <laughs> relationship, real, because look, at, when you have that, look what you have. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Knowing is trusting. Trusting is obeying. And obeying is being in love with God. So what do we do? We study the Bible. You have to study this to know him. And when you know God, you'll truly live. In 2011, let's be a Christian who helps the atheist. To God be the glory. Have a great afternoon, and thank you.